I, please, I, I really feel that God is going to minister to us tonight. Preachers preach to themselves. And there's a spirit in here of it's like the hands of the potter on the clay lifting and molding right now. Genesis 6. That's the first book of the Bible, in case y'all, for all you Bible scholars. Verse 5. Y'all ready? And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth. And it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth. Both man and beast and the creeping thing and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. But Noah, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations. This last line, and Noah walked with God. I don't care if anybody ever remembers how I sing or a sermon that I preached. When they're filing by me, Brother McKellar, I want them to look in that casket and say, he walked with God. I had an elder just not too long ago, best compliment I ever had. He said, Brother Mahaney, you walk in the Holy Ghost. That meant more to me than anything. That meant more to me than if he'd have said, boy, that was a great sermon. Man, you sure tore that song up. But he said, you know what? You walk in the Holy Ghost. I want to preach on just a little bit on life after the flood. And God's going to relieve and release something in somebody in this place. Come on. There's going to be a burden lift up off of you. Come on, anxiety's going to leave. Depression's going to leave. Come on, that pain in your heart's going to leave. Father, I worship you. I magnify your name, God. Lord, there is none besides you. There is none like you, God. Oh, God, I can't do it. I can't do it, Lord, unless you help me, God. It's not about me, God. It's all about you. God, I pray that I decrease so you can increase, Lord. And I'm asking, Lord, that the gifts of the Spirit begin to operate in this place right now. I take dominion over any spirits of doubt. Lord, I speak the word of faith right now. In the name of Jesus, let people be healed. In the name of Jesus, let sinners be drawn to the cross. In the name of Jesus, we open up to you, God. You may be seated.
In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Doesn't that sound good? Wasn't a Democrat that created the heavens and the earth. Wasn't a Republican. But God created the heavens and the earth. The Bible says the earth was without form and it was total darkness. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw the light and he saw that it was good. And so he took and he divided the light from the darkness. And now you have night and day. Real complicated. This was the first day. Now on the second day, God divided heaven and earth. Then on the third day, God divided the waters and, and from the lamb, and he created the grass and the trees. I'm thankful he created all those trees that I hit my golf balls in and can't find. And on the fourth day, God created the sun, which is the bigger light. Y'all following me? It's, it's what the Bible says. To rule the day. And he had a littler light. See, I'm not the only one who can do children. I can do some children's church. And he had the stars to rule the night. Now, the fifth day, which is probably my favorite day, God created all the whales, all the creatures in the waters, catfish, hallelujah, crappie, come on. Come on, you can't get excited about that. We just need to dismiss. Oh, it gets better than catfish. Come on. He created all the fowls. Now, I'm convinced when I get to heaven, at the marriage supper of the Lamb, as I walk in, I'm going to go, thank you for my bucket of chicken, Brother Sanders. Hey, y'all can have what you want. I'm having me some KFC. Buffet. And I've learned I take my tie off before I go on a nice buffet establishment. Because I didn't, and you could take my ties and dip them in hot water and you'd have soup. I had so much stuff on them. Now, on the sixth day, God created all the cattle. Ribeyes that thick. <laughs> but you see, he also needed someone to have dominion over the earth. So with the dust, he took and he formed man. Come on. He took and he formed and he shaped man. God did this. You see, scientists would like for you to believe that some one-celled amoeba, this is what they say. I mean, y'all send your kids to college for all this. Yeah, just bring them here. I'll fill them in. A one-celled amoeba flopped up on the shore because, see, them one-celled amoebas, they don't have no arms or legs. They just kind of flop around. And somehow he flopped into uh, another one-celled amoeba. Now, some flopping was going on. Now they went out on a date. I don't know where two one-celled amoebas go out to eat at where they have to have hands to eat chicken. And I hope they was married 
because they had a two-celled amoeba. Y'all think this is really, this is evolution. They called it a biped. So this biped married another biped. They had a tripod. I, I'm just telling you. You'll never believe what they had. A quadruped. <laughs> then it was a pinniped. Now in the 70s, they were on mopeds. Now isn't that the dumbest stuff you've ever heard in your life? God took and he created man. And then you know what he did? He breathed his own breath in him. You see, everything else God created, he just commanded it, and it began to happen. But man was special to him. So you know what he did? He took his own breath, and he breathed upon man, and man became a living soul. And can I tell you, that same breath swept through that upper room in Acts 2.38, and it breathed into his church. Now his church is a vibrant being. His church is an on-fire being. So here's man. He's placed in a utopia. He's placed in a paradise where he has dominion over everything. God saw that man was lonely. So he caused a deep sleep to come upon Adam. And he took a rib from him. And he created him a helpmate, a woman. Now here they are. They're placed in this paradise. They have everything that they need at their disposal except for one tree. This tree was in the middle of the garden. This tree was forbidden for them to eat. Not only could they not eat it, they weren't even supposed to touch it. You see, unlike the animals that God had spoken to existence, man was created with a will and an ability to make choices. We all know this story, how the serpent beguiled Eve and she ate of the forbidden fruit. And then she, in turn, gets Adam to eat from it. And they are now banished from paradise. And they are now cursed. Eve has to bear children. Adam has to work and till the ground. They are now blessed with two sons. But you see, it's not long before jealousy and hatred work their way into their lives. Cain angered because God didn't accept his sacrifice. And jealous because God had accepted Abel's more excellent sacrifice, goes and kills his brother. Now, not only do they have to taste all the other things that God has put upon them, they now taste the sting of death. Adam and Eve then are blessed with Seth. Generations go by, and the world is multiplied. Instead of good and godly, the world has become worldly and corrupt where evil abounds. The Bible says their very imaginations and their thoughts are evil. Even their hearts are evil. Genesis 6 and 13. And God said unto Noah, The end of all flesh is come before me. For the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make thee an ark of gopher wood. Does anybody know what gopher wood is? I didn't even know gophers knew how to grow trees. See, try reading a little bit. You'll learn some stuff. 
Room shalt thou make in the ark, and shalt pitch it within and without with pitch. And this is the fashion which thou shalt make it of. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits, the breadth of it 50 cubits, and the height of it 30 cubits. A window shalt thou make to the ark, and in a cubit shalt thou finish it above. And the door of the ark shalt thou set in the side thereof, with lower, second, and third stories shalt thou make it. And behold, I, even I, do bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh wherein is the breath of life. From under heaven and everything that is in the earth shall die. Here's what happens. God establishes a covenant with Noah. With Noah and his wife and his three sons and their wives that they would come into the ark and be saved. And he commands Noah to bring into the ark two of every clean beast and seven... Y'all follow me? You don't mind Bible stories, do you? And seven of every clean to replenish the earth. Now, I don't know about you, and I'm sure both of these guys have preached about this. Probably him too. Probably him too. I always wondered about the seventh... It only takes two to mate, right? That's three pairs. What was the seventh one for? Because Noah was ready for sacrifice. Come on, before he ever... Can you, can you imagine being ready for sacrifice? Can I tell you right now that fire always follows the sacrifice? Come on, you want something to happen in your family? Step out in faith and become a sacrifice. Come on, you want the miracle signs and wonders in your home and in your church? Come on, you need to learn how to be a sacrifice. Let me tell you something. It's not about us anymore. Come on, when we was baptized in the name of Jesus and he breathed his spirit within us, it ceased to be about Nick Mahaney. And I want you to know every day that I walk on this earth, I want to be a living sacrifice. Every day that I meet somebody, I want to be a living sacrifice. Come on, we live in a time We live in a society without sacrifice Come on, it's not taught in our homes It's not shown by example It's not taught how powerful and good You can be from God If you learn how to sacrifice We want to blame everything on our children not being in church when some of them have grown up in a home where it's all right to miss church. If it's somebody that you want to watch, come on, play football on TV. Come on, it's all right to miss church. If you want to go do something with all your friends, how can you expect them to be sold out when you haven't been sold out? Solomon dedicated the temple. The Bible says smoke filled the temple and the pillars moved. I'm afraid that in apostolic circles, the pillars aren't moving like they should be moving. Come on, we're waiting on everything to happen to the young people. They need to see an elder. They need to see a pillar that knows how to... Come on, they need to see a pillar that knows how to shout. They need to see the pillar run the aisles. We don't need to wait on it to happen through them. We need to show them the way. We've already been through the battles. 
Come on, pillars. Don't walk in this church anymore. Sitting in your seat. You need to get up. You need to get out in the aisle. You need to show the young people what it means to be saved. They need to see what can happen when a man of God or a woman of God knows how to get in the spirit of God and the anointing begins to fall because they have been at the altar of sacrifice. Noah takes his family into the ark just as it's commanded by God. He waits for seven days. Seven days the door of the ark is left open. For seven days, anybody that wanted to could walk in and be saved. Seven days at a chance of mercy. Seven days for a chance at grace. Seven days and not one person took the opportunity to be saved. Can I tell you it's no different than today. Come on, night after night, service after service, the best preaching in the United Pentecostal Church comes forth across from this pulpit. Come on, there's no better music and anointed singing. But still, in your heart, you know that you're not right. Come on, you don't need me up here to tell you that you're not living right. Every time you do something wrong, you're convicted by God. You don't need the pastor to tell you, well, you shouldn't listen to this. Every time you put on that old rotten music, come on, you get convicted by God. You don't need somebody to say, well, you shouldn't watch that. Come on, every time you watch that filthy junk, you're convicted by God. Night after night, time after time, you sit service after service with the open door of God's grace and mercy. Come on, we don't preach it anymore, but there comes a point when God turns his back and says, Thou fool! How many times are you going to sit through a church service and never be changed? Never be changed. You walk out just like you walked in with the door sitting open for you. Come on, the biggest service this church is ever going to see is an hour after the rapture. Come on. The biggest church service this town has ever seen it's going to be one hour after Jesus comes back. They're going to tear these doors down. They're going to run up here grabbing this pulpit. They're going to be beating on the piano keys. My God, I missed it. And the biggest fool in the world is somebody sitting on a church pew and being lost, hearing the best preaching, hearing the best singing, and you sit night after night on a church pew and you're lost. Then the hand of God shuts the door of the ark. Genesis 7 and 10. And it came to pass after seven days that the waters of the flood were upon the earth. In the 600th year of Noah's life, 
in the second month, the 17th day of the month, the same day were all the fountains of the great deep broken up, and the windows of heaven were opened, and the rain was upon the earth 40 days and 40 nights. For 40 days. And can you just get that in your mind? And 40 nights. We was in our, just got our RV in northwest Arkansas. And about two, was it two or three days? 40 mile an hour winds. Pounded that 41 and a half foot tornado magnet. It shook. It beat. Slide outs were rattling. Awnings were flapping. For three days. Man, I can't even imagine what 40 days and 40 nights was like. It was pounded by the wind. It was tossed up and down by the waves. And to top it off, there's three stories of animals. Now, I know what just one horse smells like. Now, can you imagine what two elephants And I don't, you know, I'm trying to be graphic, but you got to shovel that stuff somewhere. And them elephants, that trunk doesn't fit no shovel. Somebody got a lot of work they got to do. Tossed up and down. Puking. Like a buzzard on a gut wagon. From all the smells and the sounds. And you can't tell whether it's day or night. You know, it's nice sometimes just to open that window and feel that cool breeze come in. Oh, not here. Day after day, night after night, it seemed like there was never going to be an end to the rain. Then, 40 days and nights, the rain finally stops. But I want you to notice something. Even though the rain had stopped, the storm really wasn't over. Genesis 7 and 24 says, And the water prevailed upon the earth 150 days. Come on, the rain may have stopped, but you're still strapped in this stupid boat with water and waves pounding you. Nowhere to go. You can't get rid of the smell or the stink. It's probably in there one outfit because I didn't read where they packed any clothes. The rain may have stopped, but the storm is still there. And then after 150 days, Genesis 8 and 4, and the ark rested in the seventh month on the 17th day of the month upon the mountains of Ararat. And the waters decreased continually until the 10th month. In the 10th month on the first day of the month were the tops of the mountains seen, and it came to pass at the end of 40 days that Noah opened the window of the ark which he had made. Here he is, 150 days, trapped in this giant boat. And it's starting to look like you will never, ever see the light of day. And finally, the water starts to dry up on the earth. The boat stops. It comes to a rest. But there's still two and a half months. Start figuring all this out. It took me a while. That wasn't that funny. 
two and a half months and 40 days. And another 105 days. What are we up to, Elder? <laughs> oh. Sitting there not knowing what's going on, not knowing where you are, you can't even see outside, and finally Noah opens up the window and the fresh air rushes in and the sunlight finally penetrates the dark and Noah sends out a raven and a dove and the dove returns because there's nowhere for the dove to rest. Seven more days. You're thinking, man, we're out of here. This dude's letting out birds. I'm next. I'd be up there on that window and another dove is released. This time it comes back with an olive leaf. The Bible tells us then Noah knew the water was abated on the earth. He said, all right, the water's dried up on the earth. Man, I'll bet all them folks lined up. He goes, but I think we need to wait seven more days. The wind is open, birds are flying out, but you're still stuck in this boat for seven more days. The storm and the trial just keeps going, keeps on going. Genesis 8 and 18, and Noah went forth and his sons, finally, and his wife and his sons' wives with him, every beast, every creeping thing, and every fowl and whatsoever creepeth upon the earth after their kinds went forth out of the ark. God's covenant with Noah. And Noah builded an altar unto the Lord and took of every clean beast and every clean fowl and offered burnt offerings on the altar. You see, the first thing Noah did, come on, he didn't stand out there and go, man, them mountains are looking good. Come on, the first thing he did was he built himself an altar. Now I want you to know that this is the first time altar is ever mentioned in the Bible. Isn't it ironic that after, after the worst trial, after the worst storm ever known to man, come on, after everything that has happened to them, this is the first time that altar is mentioned in the Bible. I want to tell somebody in this place, Maybe you have been through the biggest storm of your life. Come on, the wind and the rain has fell and it keeps on coming down. You just keep on walking as the storm and the water begins to pelt you, tossing and turning, sometimes not knowing if you're going to make another day. People around you see you in this trial. They see you in this storm. They can even see the rain coming down upon you. You cry out in an agony. You pray and cry and it seems to no avail. Finally, the rain quits. The wind ceases to all appearances and to everybody else. It seems like you have weathered this storm, but no one sees that you're still in the pits of a battle. You are embedded deep in the stench and the filth of the storm, the boat of your trial finally comes to rest and you're thinking, my God, is it finally over? But it's not over yet. You just keep putting on a front in front of everybody. Nobody can see the pain inside of you. Come on, nobody can see the tears that you cry on your pillow at night. The storms of life are streaming down your face. Come on, and suddenly the window of the boat begins to open and you see a little light, 
and you feel a little fresh air, and that's when you realize, you know what, I can make it after all. Come on, I've done been through the worst of it. This storm is almost over. I think I can make it. I think I'm going to hold on. Well, it might be another few days, but I think I'm going to make it. Finally, you have stepped out. You are in victory. Can I tell you what God wants you to do? God wants you to build an altar. God wants you to build an altar of sacrifice. Oh, though you slay me, Lord. Maybe I don't understand everything, but I'm going to live for you. I'm going to live for you. I'm going to bless you with my praise. I'm going to bless you with my sacrifice. This is where the altars of sacrifice become milestones in your life. Come on, this altar is like no no other you've ever had before because you have been through the battle to make it to this altar. This sacrifice is unlike anything that you've ever had because you've been through some pain. You've been through some hurt at this altar of sacrifice. Can I tell somebody you don't have to walk out of here like you came in? Come on, this night is for you. This night, you don't even... You need to say, Lord, I don't care who else gets a blessing. But when I walk out of here, I'm walking out of here with an altar. I'm walking out of here with a sacrifice of praise. Genesis 9 and 28. This is one of the most powerful scriptures in the Bible right here. And Noah lived after the flood. 350 years. And I was reading that about a month ago. I thought, good Lord. Man, I've been walking through some things. And I'm thinking I'm not going to make it. But there's life after the flood. It's not over because you've been through the worst valley you've ever went through in your life. Come on, it's not over because the storm has tore you apart. Can I tell you that there's life after your storm? God is just waiting on you. God is waiting on you to come to the altar tonight and say, God, I can't do it anymore. But I'm going to tell you what, I'm going to build an altar of sacrifice because you're going to take me by the hand. You're going to lead me through this valley. You're going to take me to the mountain. After all the wind, after all the rain, after all the stench, after all the pain, after all you've been through, after the altar of sacrifice, there's life after the flood. Can you imagine? Because Noah, it's over. The story of Noah's over. But God wanted us to know that maybe I'm through telling this story about Noah, but his life isn't over. Can you imagine his, children, his grandchildren, his great-grandchildren? Come on, all their friends. Come on, Brother Noah, tell us about the storm. Tell us about the storm. Come on, remember all the old testimony services? I bet Noah was the first one up. Let me tell the church about something. I went through the worst storm that I ever went through in my life. I didn't think I was going to make it. 
but God reached down and he encouraged me in that stench. God reached down, he encouraged me and through the wind and the waves. And guess what? I'm still going on. Come on, I'm still going on. I'm still shouting. I'm still praising him. I'm still running the aisles. I'm still being blessed. Come on, the devil wants you to think it's over, but God wants you to know that there's life, that there's life after the flood. You may not have thought you was going to make it. You may have thought it was over. The enemy almost had you. He was ready to give up, but I want you to know I built me an altar, a sacrifice to God. Come on, a bad doctor's report. Just hold on. There's life after the flood. Come on, your finances might look bad right now, but you just hold on because there's life after the flood. Come on, your children, they may not be in here right now, but you need to praise him in advance because there's life after the flood. Come on, I'm just going to tell you. Come on, we receive bad news from our kids, but I don't believe one word of it because God promised me there's life after the flood. Come on, I don't care what the devil's trying to tell me. I refuse to believe that my family's not going to be saved. There's life after the flood. Come on, we used to know how to tarry in Pentecost. Come on, but somebody would get sick. Well, we're just going to plead the blood. One of those idiots on one of those groups, on Facebook or whatever it is, he's supposed to be a preacher telling people, oh, you shouldn't plead the blood. Well, that goofball's never been through what I've been through. Come on. He, that, he hasn't ever been through what I've been through. I had to plead the blood of Jesus because it was only the blood that was going to bring me through. Come on, it was the only the blood that was going to heal me. It was only the blood that was going to save me. Come on, young people. You better learn right now that there's life after the flood. You need to learn how to plead the blood of Jesus. You need to plead it when you get up in the morning. Mac, I plead the blood of the water in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Come on, I plead the blood over sickness. I plead the blood over disease. Let's all stand. Two thousand and seven, March of two thousand and seven. I had no idea. It was going to be the first of many days of a long storm. I'd been in church three years. I hadn't even preached my first sermon. I was driving my father around and I would sing before he'd preach. God bless me because people would fly my dad out and they'd fly me with them. March of 2007, it was a Friday. Panic 
I've never heard my mother panicking like this. She said, you got to get here. I don't know what's going on. When I got there, that strong man was fighting for every breath. I tried to grab him, maybe lay him on the floor. I couldn't move him. He's a big man. They took him to Celine Memorial Hospital. He was fighting for every breath. I'd go in there and I'd pray for him. And he was, he couldn't breathe. It was killing him. They finally had to intubate him and sedate him. And they took him to Baptist in North Little Rock. Brother Gene, I'd stand on that wall. My dad was on the other side of the wall, and I'd have my hand on that wall for hours. Hours. In the name of Jesus, I speak the word of faith, God. I believe you're the healer. I, I wasn't ashamed. I didn't care who was watching. At that time, Brother Haney would call me every other hour. And him and Sister Haney would pray with me. And we'd lay hands on that wall. I would. Sunday morning, they came in and woke us up. We were laying in the family waiting area just a couple hours before that I'd went in there and I'm just crying out to God I was praying for my father something kind of spoke to me and said tell him everything that you feel I got right by his ear I said dad I love you I'm thank so thankful you showed me how to be a man thank you dad for the last three years to show me how to be a preacher I, I was weeping, and I said, Dad, I promise you before God what you started, I'm going to finish. That man pulls himself up in the bed. He'd been unconscious for two days and just locked on me with his eyes. Three hours later, they came and got me. He said, look, the only thing keeping him alive is these machines. Tell us what to do. We'll just keep him on here for a while if you want. My dad told me to promise him that ever do that I said no this is a man of God it's a prophet you don't die with dignity we went in that room as I turned everything off he began to slowly but surely just not breathe when I tell you there was a power that come into that room As he took his last breath, my mother began to quote the Shema in Hebrew. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. My brother began to read, in my father's house are many mansions. And there was about 20 people in that room, and they began to sing, I will give it all. And it was just like, I imagine, when Elijah left. This doctor... He turned around and he had tears running down his face. He grabbed me by the shoulders. He said, my God, who is this? I've never felt this before. I said, the angels have came and taken a prophet home. Those nurses, never, never one time did they ever get to speak to my father. But there was something different about him, see. They begin to weep. I'm, when I tell you these Critical care nurses don't weep like this. 
They made us leave for about 30 minutes. We came back. That whole ward had cut out doves, placed them all over his room. I didn't realize it. I just started in this storm. That boat was being whipped around on me. I was going through things. People, I heard him. Uh, he ain't going to make it without his dad. He ain't going to make it. And I had a determination, and I made a promise to a man on his deathbed. There was no devil in hell was going was gonna to defeat me. In one year, my sister fell over dead, 42. Almost a year to the day, massive heart attack. Fell out dead in the church. I can't describe the anxiety and fear that came over me when I seen her laying there. That was, that was in October, the next October. Brother McKellar, I'm at general conference. I'm waiting on the women to get ready in the lobby. And my son calls me, and I can hear a commotion going on in the back. It's just... I said, what is going on? And I hear this voice. There's nothing we can do. We lost him. Four months old, my grandson. I, I, I'll never be able to describe the pain that I felt. As I stood there looking at that casket about this size, going to have to preach that funeral. It changed for me that day because I fell down on my knees begin to pray, God, I don't know if I'm going to make this. God, I don't understand. Let me tell you what happened. It's like the, the whole room opened up. I seen this massive tree going over this massive river. In that tree was every kind of fruit and birds that you could think of. It's beautiful. It was a paradise. And I looked and sitting on the bank, my dad hated shoes and Sitting on the bank was my dad in his early 30s with his feet in the water, kicking the water. There was a young man sitting beside him, and I knew instantly that was my grandson. My father leaned back behind him and said, We're all right, son. Take care of my family. I lifted my hands. I said, God, I don't understand it, but here's my sacrifice of praise to you. You know what I said? I said, God, I forgive you for taking my dad. I forgive you for taking my sister. I forgive you for taking my grandchild because I was holding animosity in my heart, not understanding, not understanding all this stuff. And I said, though you slay me, I'm going to live for you. I said, God, I promise you, it doesn't matter what I have to go through. It doesn't matter my sacrifice. I'm going to live for you. Come on, somebody, God is speaking to you in this place. You need to already be making your way down to this altar. Come on, you need to be already giving down to this altar saying, Lord, here's my sacrifice. I don't understand it, God, but I'm going to lift it up to you. God, I don't understand everything that's going on. I, my mind is torn. My heart is torn. But I'm going to make an altar of sacrifice for you. Come on, you need to give up your children. You need to give up your family and lay it on the altar, and God's going to bring them back. Come on, there's an altar of sacrifice in this place for you tonight. Come on, there's an altar of sacrifice in this place for you tonight.